I am going to begin by reading from Psalm 99. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. Uh, Psalm 99, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then skip down to verse 9 if you haven't. Um, Some of you may have heard me say this before, that the Bible tells us that our hearts are deceitful, and so they're constantly lying to us. And so we need to be aware that even this morning as we've woken up, and we've kind of gone about our day to, to get here, we've been listening to lies. And so it's important for us to hear from something that's true. Uh, and so <clears throat> as we read Psalm 99, uh, these selected verses, just know this is God's truth being spoken back into your heart. It's realigning our thinking. Okay? It's helping us think correctly this morning. Um, So I know it's kind of lame to ask you to do this, but if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I know you're tired. You don't want to have to stand, but if you would, stand. And then after I read this, I'm going to pray, but you can sit down as I start to pray. So this is God's Word, Psalm 99, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll skip down to 9. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. Y'all can sit down and I'll pray for us. God, you are holy. You are powerful. You are eternal. You are deserving of all worship and glory and honor and praise. As the psalmist says, we should tremble at your power. We should tremble at your glory. But, but Lord, if, if we're honest, we tremble at so many other things. Uh, we're fearful of so many other things. We're anxious of so many other things. And truth be told, it's, it's often due to the fact that we're shifting our eyes off of who you are and onto our circumstances. If we, if we confess our hearts, Lord, we often don't give much thought to you. That we think about so many other things. And because our hearts are deceitful, because our hearts are, are poisoned with sin. So we thank you for the gift of your word, the truth of your word, um, that can speak back to us and can remind us of your holy, powerful character. Spirit, we call upon you now to help us focus on the truth of your word. Spirit, we ask that we would see you glorified and magnified uh, first and foremost, that our focus would be on who God is, that that, uh, you would receive glory above all else. And in the midst of that discussion, we would also see how your word speaks truth 
uh, to our worries. God, we know that you know every name of every person in this building, of every student that's at this conference, of every leader. You know how many hairs are on our head. And you know what's going on in their hearts right now. You know the things that they're afraid of. And I pray that the power of your word would be applied in all these different ways to speak uh, to these students. Uh, Please be with us this week as we open up your word. I pray that you would teach us from it and that you would humble us uh, in our brokenness and humble us by your love and your grace that you manifest constantly in our lives. We thank you for the gospel. We pray that you would help us to see the gospel in a new light as we look at our anxieties in light of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Who's tired? You can raise your hand. You can be honest. I did not sleep great last night, so I'm pretty tired. Kind of wish I had an extra cup of coffee uh, this morning. Kind of feeling that a little bit. Um, my, my name is John Parrott. I'm the Director of Resources uh, for RYM. I've been on staff with RYM about two and a half years. Uh, before that, I was in youth ministry at Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church in Ridgeland, Mississippi. And I was on staff there for a little over 12 years and then did some youth ministry prior to that. So I've been in youth ministry about 15 years or so. I brought groups uh, to this camp uh, multiple times uh, before I came on staff. Um, My wife's name is Ashley. Uh, We recently celebrated 16 years of marriage. Um, We also have five children. Um, our oldest, and they're all here. You might see them this week if you hear screaming at the back of the room during worship at night. It's probably my youngest, um, so I apologize uh, for that. Uh, my oldest is 12, and then we have a nine-year-old, and then, sorry, I had to think about that, uh, seven-year-old, five-year-old, and then almost three in August. Um, so that's a little bit about our family. Um, As you can see, we're going to be talking about stress, anxiety, worry this week. Here's a little outline for what we're going to be talking about. Just kind of a heads up, we've had some tech issues, so I have no idea if this is going to go out or not. Hopefully it'll last uh, through the teaching. But today we're going to be kind of defining anxiety, looking at some of the characteristics of anxiety. Tomorrow we're going to be asking the question, why are we so fearful? All right, and then kind of a continuation of that is day three. Why not worry? Why shouldn't we worry? And then we'll look at this world that we're living in, and we'll see, look, there's a lot of reasons to worry. Um, There's a lot of valid reasons to feel stress, to feel anxious about various things. So day two and day three are kind of uh, part one and part two of, of, of that, very similar, some overlap. And then day four, how should we deal with our worry? Um, that, you know, as we define it a little bit this week, as we talk more about it, hopefully get you to think a little bit about it. And, and, you know, some of this can be uncomfortable at times that we start to bring up things that might make us uncomfortable uh, because we're reflecting on some of our anxieties. Uh, but this last day, giving you um, some truths that you can take with you as you leave to kind of reflect on and help you in the midst of this this struggle. Um, so that, that's the plan uh, for this week. Uh, this is 
I've done this talk at a few of the other conferences that we've, we've had, but um, High School Florida 2 actually has an extra day of electives. Uh, so I've got some new content in there that hopefully is, is helpful. I'd love to hear from you guys as well, um, questions you have. Uh, if I can address those uh, as I, I, I teach, I'd love to be able to be thinking about um, what, you're, what you're wrestling with. I want to give you some disclaimers real quick. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Um, this is mainly for probably the, the youth leaders out there, but also some questions you may have. First is, I'm not an expert in this area on anxiety. Okay, There's a sense in which I could say I'm an expert because I'm anxious. I worry. I get stressed. And so I would say we have many similarities in the ways that we struggle. Um, so I, I'm an expert in that way. I could... Talk to this, talk about this uh, with the ways in which you, you struggle. But there, there can be a lot of complexities as we talk about the topic of anxiety. Okay? And so there's a lot that I'm not going to be getting into in this class. I'm basically just kind of giving you a brief idea. I'm looking at, okay, what does the Bible tell us about anxiety? I'm solely looking at a biblical understanding of our worry. Okay? I'm not going to be getting into medicine. You know, some people think differently about that. I'm not going to be getting into anxiety disorders. Okay, I'm just looking at, okay, what does the Bible tell us about our anxieties? But there, even in the church, even among Christians, there can be disagreement about anxiety disorders. There can be disagreement about medication. And so I just want to say from the outset, look, it's okay to disagree on those things. I want to have grace and extend grace and say, look, as Christians, we can think differently about that, and we can have different thoughts, and that's okay, um, but just to, to know, I'm too anxious to be dealing with those questions. <laughs> you can say, well, you're a coward. Okay, that's fine. I'll own that. I'm, I'm just not going to get into that because I know there's a lot of disagreement, and since we don't have, you know, a ton of time, um, which, by the way, I just realized that did not transition to the next slide, so yeah, it's already messed up. Donald, Danny, this is messed up. I don't know if y'all can do anything. I'm just letting you guys know. Um, so, yeah, I'm just not going to get into some of those areas uh, where people can have some disagreement on. Because, look, let me just throw this out to kind of show you how this can be a, com a complex issue. Um, what typically happens physically when you get anxious? And that's another thing. I'm going to ask some questions, and it'd be great if some of you gave answers just so you know, if you've ever been in one of my classes, I'm never going to call on you. I'm never going to be like, you, answer this question, especially when you're in a class on anxiety. Like, that's the worst idea ever. You know, stand up. Everybody look at him tremble when he answers this question. Um, I'm not going to do that. But it'd be great if you answer questions when I ask them. So what typically happens to you physically when you get anxious? Can somebody tell me some few, a few things? Yes. Your heart rate increases, exactly. What else? Yes. You start to shake. Yes, everybody. Yep, I think maybe your hand first. Okay, temptation to give in to that fear and that worry. Yes. Okay, yes, your stomach can feel sick. And so look, what I want to say specifically about your heart beating faster. I think every one of us would say yes. Okay, when we get anxious, heart begins to beat faster. There's, there's a physical condition that some of you have heard of called, you know, a heart arrhythmia, which means if you have a heart arrhythmia, your heart beats faster than the normal rate, okay? 
So if someone has a condition of a heart arrhythmia, you may already feel anxious because your heart's beating faster all the time. And so, listen, that's a physiological issue some people have. And so that gets into some complexity. Do you all understand what I'm saying? Like, some people might just have a physical condition that manifests anxiety, that makes them feel more anxious. And so that's just one example of how this issue can be very complex. And I'm not going to get into all that. So I'm just kind of pushing that to the side. But kind of defining what is worry, what is anxiety, what is stress. We'll see if my slides continue to work. Um, First off, I'm going to be using these words interchangeably. So just kind of knowing that up front. If you hear me say worry, I'm also talking about anxiety. If you hear me say anxiety, I'm also talking about stress. So I'm just kind of lumping these words together. Uh, But somebody tell me, if you had to define this, I mean, with a room this size, we're all going to come up with different definitions of this. But some ways in which um, some characteristics of anxiety Um, some ways you might describe it. Uh, What are some of those words you'd use to describe this? Overwhelming, feeling overwhelmed. Yes, what are some others? Scared. Scared. This is good, you are talking. Any others? People are feeling anxious because it's going to get quiet. We hate the awkwardness. Yes. Okay, it can be crippling for some people. That's right. I saw a hand go up in the back. Okay, overthinking something. Is that what you said? Overthinking? I'm old, and those air conditioning units can be kind of loud, too. Good, yes. Frustrating? Good. All right. So, look, here's some ways in which we can describe worry. The transitions are a little bit off. As we say, what is Worry. Here's one way we could define it. I'm not not saying this is the only way to define it or anything like that, but one way we might could define this. Worry or anxiety is a desire to control people and circumstances that are out of our control. Okay? So think about this. As we say, worry or anxiety is a desire to control people and circumstances that are out of our control. That if I were to ask you, are you a controlling person? Many of you might say no, I don't really struggle with that, but I'd say an aspect to our worry is a desire to be in control. That when something is happening in your life that's causing you you stress, you want it to stop immediately, right? You want to control it. If it's people that are causing you anxiety in your life, you want to control them in a sense. Or you want to control these things that are out here that are going crazy and are starting to make you feel anxious or starting to make you shake or have your heart beat faster. And so look, as we dig down into this too, if we kind of get more at the roots of this, this is putting it in strong language here, again, if it comes up on the screen, it it is this. It is a desire to be God. Okay? There's a desire to be God, and we're going to get into this a little bit in just a minute, but then more tomorrow. This is why Jesus speaks so strongly against anxiety when he talks about it in Matthew 6. Because if we're trying to control our circumstances and we're trying to control other people to keep them in check, to keep us from getting anxious, ultimately, we're playing God, right? And what we need to realize, I mean, this is already kind of one step in a a direction that just 
needs to help our thinking is we're not in control. And I know, okay, that can sound obvious, but if you start asking, okay, seriously, what are you in control of? Just think about that. What are you actually in control of? The answer is probably nothing, right? We, we often think we're more in control than we really are. Because just putting it very strong, none of us are guaranteed the next hour on this earth, right? And we cannot control that. We don't know when we're going to take our last breath. So that means ultimately we're not in control of that. And some of you might have just gotten really anxious. Like, good, I'm glad I came to this class, John. I'm going to die. Appreciate you reminding me of that. Um, but, to, but to think about this, and as we, we dig into this, there's a sense in which what our worry says is... <laughs> God, look, I'm not in control of the technology, right? Everything's out of control. God, you do not exist. You are not in control. Again, I know I'm putting this in strong language right from the get-go, but as we look more at what Jesus Christ says, whenever we're feeling super anxious about something, oftentimes we're saying, God, you're not in control of this. God, you are not dealing with this. And so I have to be consumed with it. I have to be thinking about it. And so that's, again, as we dig down into kind of the roots of this, this is some of what our anxiety can say at times. And as we look at, and something too that I wanted to bring up, there's a book back there I meant to bring up uh, by Tim Lane called Living Without Worry, and it's back on the the book table. I'll reference it again. He says that worry, the word worry is an old English word that talks about that describes the, the tightening of your chest, okay? And anxiety is also kind of the roots of that, is a, is a closing of the throat, okay? And so if you think of feeling anxious about certain things, sometimes some of you may, may have felt that. Maybe some of you in this room have had a panic attack to where you just feel like you're getting tight right here and your throat is just kind of closing up, um, Show of hands, how many of you know who John Piper is? Raise your hand. I want to see him high because not as many hands go up sometimes. Yeah, probably the the most famous theologian of our time who's, you know, still living, pastor, theologian. He's written hundreds of books. He's spoken all over the world, literally all over the world. Please listen to this. When he was in high school, he could not stand up in front of his class and give a speech. He said he would walk into the classroom and he would go up to the teacher and he would say, hey, do I have to give a speech in this class? And they'd say, yeah. And he'd say, well, I can't do that. So what's the best grade I can get if I don't give the speech? And they'd say, like, a C? He's like, okay, I'll take a C. But I cannot get up and give a speech. Um, And he says literally his throat would close up and he could not utter a word. He could not form a sentence. He would get so anxious. I say that to encourage you. Like, all John Piper does for a living is talk in front of thousands of people. He's paid to fly all over the world and speak. And there was a time in his life where he said, I could not do that. I was too anxious. And so thinking about that, some of you may have experienced that. And as we look at Matthew 6, again, we'll spend more time on this tomorrow. But Jesus Christ, when he's talking about anxiety, There's a sense in which he says worry refers to the future. When he says do not worry about tomorrow. 
that oftentimes our anxiety is thinking about the what ifs. What if this happens? And as others have pointed out, oftentimes we can feel so anxious about the future and then whatever it is we're worried about never even happens. And so we make ourselves suffer by something that actually never even comes to fruition. But listen clearly to this. Worry also can deal with the past. It's not just in the future. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever done anything stupid or said anything stupid in your life. Raise your hand. Okay, unless you're asleep, every hand just went up. And then, show of hands, how many of you, after you said or did that stupid thing, a week later, a year later, five years later, you think back about that thing and you think, oh, why did I do that? Every hand just went up unless you're asleep. Right? That we can think about, oh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And then we relive it. Not only do we do that stupid thing, we make ourselves go back through it by thinking about it. And so your anxiety can be in the past as well, dwelling on those things and making yourself suffer those things. It obviously can be in the present as you're dealing with all of this. Jesus Christ also says, do not worry, which is a command. <clears throat> and many of you are thinking, okay, thanks, John. I was already anxious, and now I'm anxious about my anxiety. That Jesus is saying it's a command, and so I'm trying to stop that, but I can't. And so now I'm struggling more with anxiety when we look at it that way. But we're going to, to dig down into that. Okay, why did Jesus command this? Okay. Why, why did he command? Why did he put this in a command? And the Apostle Paul does the same thing as well. Why would he do that? Is he trying to guilt trip us? Is he trying to torture us? No, he's not. But we do need to see, and again, that's why I kind of put our anxiety in some strong language because Jesus does speak strongly about it. But here's an encouraging thing. In some ways, it could sound discouraging. <clears throat> Jesus doesn't downplay the reality of worrying. Again, we're going to look at this more tomorrow, but he says sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus says there's plenty for you to be worried about. When he says do not worry about tomorrow, he says there's so much to be worried about today. So don't even start thinking about tomorrow because there's enough here today. So that can terrify us, but it should also encourage us that Jesus Christ isn't like, what is wrong with you people? Stop being so anxious. That's not how he's speaking. Okay, he acknowledges the fact that we have plenty to worry about. He's not some spiritual hippie that's just kind of walking around, just, hey, relax, everybody, chill out. That's not how he talks about this. And so that should be encouraging to us. And so what I want us to do is to go back and to think about where our anxiety began. And part of what I want to do, because these are, Somewhat familiar, if, if you've grown up in the church, you, you've heard Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. I'm just going to look at a few sections in this. But, but getting us to think about these sections that are often familiar to us, hopefully in a new light, and to help us see what they have to do with our anxiety, okay? Because often, like if we want to kind of, again, get down to a, a root theme of why we, we deal with a lot of our anxieties, It's because we have a small view of who God is. That God is this omniscient, amazing creator that I read Psalm 99 to kind of get us to think about that. But oftentimes, we think he's too small. 
and we think he's powerless. Even though we know that's incorrect, it doesn't line up with our theology, that's often how we live it out. And so hearing from God's word, Genesis 1, verse 1, and then skipping to 2, 7 through 9. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now look, I want you to help me think about what would have been present in the garden prior to sin coming into creation. Okay, besides Adam and Eve, what was in the garden? Tell me, what what are some of those things that would have been present in the garden? Food, plants, is that what you said? Food, plants, what are some other things? Animals? Yes, what's that? Peace, good. Perfection? And I realize it just went out. See, that's something I want you to think about is that we can look at Genesis 1 and 2 and we can think about what was present. Here's the reality. None of you have ever seen perfection in your life. Do you realize that? Well, we can read about it in the scriptures. We can reflect and kind of speculate, but we've never actually seen perfection in Genesis 1 and 2 and then future glory to come. Like, and this is where my mind goes a little bit if this comes up. How many of you saw Avengers Endgame? Okay, do you remember Thanos picking fruit at the beginning of the movie? You know, which you've got to pick up on that, okay? That was a theme in that movie. Thanos just wanted to return to the garden and just chill out, right? Okay, the garden, and we'll talk about this, is in all of our hearts. Like, we long for that. And that was a theme in the movie. But part of me wonders, okay, was there fruit in existence in Genesis 1 and 2 that we no longer have? Yeah? And, and how has fruit changed, for example? I mean, how many of you have ever tried a bad piece of fruit? All of us? Like, it doesn't matter. If you were walking through the garden, whatever you picked was amazing. You probably screamed that it tasted so good. You didn't spit any of it out. Like, did watermelon not have seeds in the garden that you didn't have to spit out? Because it's, watermelon's great if you like watermelon, but it's kind of annoying sometimes because of the seeds. And as some of you are thinking, well, they're seedless watermelons, John. I'm aware of those. They still have those annoying little seeds in them. So are seeds a result of the fall? I don't know. We don't know. As we think about animals, right, and you think about the fact that there are animals today that we label as predators, that's a result of the fall, okay? Like if a lion walked through that door right now, you would find out who your friends are, right? Some of y'all would be knocking people down to get to the doors, get out of here. We would go insane, rightly so. In the garden, we'd be like, hey, there's a lion, let's go pet it. But our minds have been forever altered, right, because of the fall. I mean, think about what movie is this from? Lion King, right? Happy moment. They're all singing. What are they singing here? Circle of Life. Can someone tell me what is the circle of life? What? Did somebody say dying? Dying. 
Yes. Animals now die. That's the circle of life. Okay? Like if I took a sheep into the zoo and just threw it in the lion's exhibit, yeah, some of your eyes are like, that's horrible. I would never do that. But that's the circle of life. There was a time where a sheep and a lion could just be walking side by side. Not anymore because of sin. Okay, so animals eat each other. Animals die and decay into the ground and feed the soil. That's the circle of life. And so as you go see the new live-action Lion King movie, just know when they're singing that happy song, it's not happy. So I just ruined that moment for you. I apologize. But to think about how sin, as it came into the world, it changed absolutely everything. I mean, it specifically talks about thorns now. I mean, vegetation was changed, okay? Uh, Fruit would rot. Fruit doesn't taste as good in some ways. And even the best fruit you've had doesn't compare to the fruit that would have been present in the garden. And so, also zooming in, thinking about what happened to Adam and Eve in this moment as we get to Genesis 3. And again, we're getting to the origins of anxiety. But what I want to do is to kind of get you, again, some of us can get familiar with these passages of Scripture, to think a little bit about this as I set this up. Genesis 1 and 2, okay? If you were to to read that yourself or to hand the Bible to an atheist who doesn't believe in the Bible at all, and you were to say, hey, read Genesis 1 and 2 and then tell me who's the main character, who would they say? Easy Sunday school answer. God, God, all right? That you could hand the Bible to an atheist and say, okay, did you read Genesis 1 and 2? Who's the main character? They could say, well, look, I don't believe this at all, but God's the main character. Yeah, verse 1, in the beginning, God. And then he makes absolutely everything, and then it zooms in on him creating man in Genesis 2. He's the main character. But as we get to Genesis 3, he disappears, all right, Genesis 3.1, all of a sudden the serpent is introduced. And so you're thinking, okay, where did this come from? And what happened to the main character? And so that's my question I want you to think about. I'm going to come back and answer it. Where was God in this moment? Because as we pick up here, God walks up to Adam and Eve. So where was he? Where was God in this moment? Where was the main character? And so Genesis 3, picking up in verse 8, We read, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, I want to share two truths from these verses that are true about every single one of you. And every human on the face of the earth, for that matter. Two truths. Before I do that, let me share a story with you. Um, When I was in late high school, um, maybe even early college, one of my friends was a manager at a movie theater. And so what would happen oftentimes is, you know, every week they would have new movies being released, typically on a Friday, and they would have to splice the film roles together, you know, in a movie theater. And so they would 
watch those movies Thursday night at like midnight before they would show them the next day to make sure they would play. So my friend would invite me and other friends up at midnight on Thursdays, and we would watch free new movies at night. And this sounds kind of gross, but it's not. They had a garbage can filled with popcorn that we'd eat out of. It was a garbage can only used for popcorn. Like, it was a clean garbage can. You know, it wasn't stinky and had a bunch of junk in it, and we just kind of ate around the popcorn and stuff. It was just used for their extra popcorn. So we'd wheel this huge popcorn thing in an empty theater, and we just had the entire theater, and we would just eat popcorn and watch new movies. It was a lot of fun. When we finished watching the movies, usually around 2 in the morning or so, we would play sardines in the movie theater. How many of you have played sardines? Okay, those who haven't, it's basically like, reverse hide-and-seek. One person would go and hide while the group counted, and then when the time was up, you would split up and you would try to find the person. If you found them, you would hide with them. Okay? And it was always a little creepy. Like, if you were the one person going to hide first, you were walking into this huge empty theater all by yourself. It's a little creepy. But then also, if you were walking around looking, and then all of a sudden you look up and you realize, I'm the last person left. Like, everybody's hiding. Where is everybody? It was this eerie feeling. I think sometimes we can forget that, you know, hide and seek when we were little, sardines. There's this element of fear involved in it that makes it kind of fun. Like when you were little and you'd find a hiding place and you could hear somebody walking up, you're thinking, okay, I hope this is good enough. They're not going to find me. You might try to hold your breath or they couldn't even hear you. But there's this element of fear involved. Look, some may say here, this is the first game of hide and seek ever played. Adam and Eve trying to hide from an omnipotent, omniscient, eternal creator, which is laughable, right? But but the two truths I want us to to zoom in on and to think about, again, that are true of every one of you, and maybe this will come up. The first is this. You're all afraid. You're all afraid. Okay, every one of you listening to me, again, every person on the face of the earth is afraid of someone and something. As we look back at that Genesis 3 passage, verse 10 tells us Adam was afraid and he hid from God. What we need to see is that as sin came into creation, it brought fear with it. And we know if we believe in this creation account, Adam's sin spread to us, so that means we're all afraid as well. Now, we'll get into this a little bit later Fear could have existed before sin came into the world, okay? We're told to fear God. We're told to fear the Lord. There's someone who says we're designed to fear, but sin redirects our fear to everything else. We need to see that whether it originated here or is distorted because of sin, we have this distorted fear, okay? So some of you are afraid of heights. Raise your hands if you're afraid of heights, okay? Some of you are afraid of tight spaces, claustrophobia, like being buried alive terrifies you. Some of you, you might be afraid, okay, if you're swimming out in the ocean later today and something brushes your leg, okay, afraid of of sharks. Um, Who's afraid of spiders here, okay? They definitely came out, came about because of the fall. They're straight from the pit of hell. Um, Kidding, if you like spiders, I have a pet spider, I just... I don't like them, so I'm sorry. Um, does anyone know, what about anybody afraid of clowns? Is that, 
Scare anybody? Can anyone tell me what is a fear of clowns? Don't say clownophobia. Somebody says that all the time. It's not it. Does anyone know what the technical term is for a fear of clowns? Yes. Okay, yeah. Cholerophobia? Is that what you said? I'm trying to, or uh, yeah, cholerophobia, I think is how you say it. Good job. Um, I asked that question to somebody. I said, what, what is a fear of clowns? And they said, normal. <laughs> thought, yeah, like who, who thought, hey, let, let's dress this guy up and like parade him around children. That's a good idea. It's a horrible idea. So we, we have all of these different kinds of fears that we're dealing with, right? So we're all afraid. But then secondly, we're all hiding. We are all hiding. <clears throat> verse 8 and verse 10 says, I was afraid, so I hid. And then he says, I hid again. So twice in that section, he's talking about hiding. And so again, sin coming into creation makes us hide. And so the reality that you're all hiding, we have many ways in which we can hide. Okay, there's a comedian, maybe some of you have heard this before, who said, when someone meets you, they don't meet you, they meet your representative. When someone meets you, they don't meet you, they meet your representative. That is, they meet the person you want them to think you are. But when somebody meets you, that's not really you. The real you is the person you are when you're alone in your room all by yourself and no one's around. The real you is the person that's up here, the thoughts you have. If you want to know who you are, that's who you really are. That kind of gets down at the heart of it. And so we can hide behind our personalities. If we're known as the funny person, we can hide behind that persona. If we're known as the smart person, we can hide behind our academics. If we're known as the athletic person, a good-looking person. We're, we're hiding behind these personas. Okay, maybe some of you, you hide in the world of books. Maybe Hogwarts is where you like to go, or Middle Earth. And so when, when life gets tough, you want to escape into those worlds. Some of that can be good. We'll talk about that. Um, some of that might not be as good. Maybe when life gets tough, you hide in binge-watching on Netflix. None of you do that here, right? Or Amazon or whatever streaming service. But we can hide in all of these kind of places. Again, I'm going to talk about this more, and not all of that is bad. That can be a good thing, a gift from God. But, but kind of summing this up, what does all of this have to do with worry? Follow me on this, okay? Just looking at the fact that you're all afraid, what I want to say is that this truth isn't to shame you. Like, you're all a bunch of just, you're afraid of things and just mocking you or guilt-tripping you. There's so much that's valid for you to be afraid of. There's so much that's okay to be afraid of certain things. Okay, so that's not shaming you. The same goes with hiding. I mean, for example, if you go to a school where people mock you and bully you and make life literally a living hell by showing up to school, and you know, okay, if I walk down this hall at school today, I'm going to see these people that will make fun of everything about me. So I'm going to hide by walking down this hall so I don't have to see these jerks who make life miserable. That's okay. That's valid to want to hide, to get away from people like that. So just telling you there are valid reasons to be afraid, valid reasons to hide. 
I'm not saying that at all. But what we need to see is that there's only one place for you to truly hide. Not one of five or, or one of many. There's really, ultimately, only one place for you to hide. There can be, again, good places that we can go to. If we've had a tough day and we want to just watch something funny on Netflix that makes us laugh, that can be okay. But if ultimately that's the only way you're dealing with your anxiety, it's not going to ultimately help you. And so, follow this. Since you're all afraid and you all naturally hide, you're going to hide somewhere. You're going to be hiding somewhere. And if you hide anywhere else, ultimately we'll create more anxiety in your life, create more worry in your life, okay? So you've got to be thinking about that. I mean, this, is, again, is something we're going to unpack in the days ahead, but I need to start summing this up. So getting back to this question of where was God, okay? In Genesis 3, you know, 8 to, to the end, Adam and Eve have just sinned against God, right? They did the one thing God said not to do. He said, don't do this. You can have all of this stuff, perfect peace, all of this. Just don't do this one thing. They did the one thing God said not to do. And so they became sinful. And they became God's enemies, ultimately. Because God is perfect. God is righteous. God is holy. God is just. God is good. He cannot dwell in the presence of sin, right? So listen, ultimately, Adam and Eve did not hide from God. God hid from Adam and Eve. God, in his unending grace and mercy, knew Adam and Eve would be destroyed if they were in his presence because he cannot dwell in the presence of sin. So God shielded them from his eternal, magnificent glory to spare his rebellious children from being destroyed. You have to see that even in the midst of Adam and Eve's rebellion, God is still being gracious. Not only in hiding from them, not being some jerk to hide from them, to protect them, but then also in the fact that he comes walking up to them. He goes up to his rebellious children and goes looking for them. But then what else did God do after that? Y'all remember what he did? Anyone? Anyone? Heard some mumbling. Yes, he gave them animal skins. I don't know if anybody said that. I'm just pretending. Um, they had fig leaves. I don't know what you know about fig leaves, but they're not too good at shielding from eternal, infinite glory. They don't do that too well. And so God, a lot of people say this is the first bloodshed in Scripture because he had to kill an animal to give them clothing and so sin causes blood, bloodshed. And so God clothes them. God deals with their fear and gives them a place to hide that's better. And you can already track with me, some of you. This is all pointing us to Jesus Christ, right? God is saying, you are rebellious children, but I love you and I've made a promise to protect you. And so I'm going to give you a better place to hide. Ultimately pointing us to one day, this man, Jesus Christ, coming to earth, taking all of our guilt, shame, fears to the cross, 
and giving us a place to hide from all of it. Okay? So what I want you to see is that first and foremost, this shows us God's fatherly character. He is a good and gracious and loving God, even in the midst of our rebellion. Okay? And secondly, how he provided for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's ultimately the place for us to hide. Okay, that can sound very strange. What does that mean to hide in Jesus? That's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow and in the days ahead. What I want you to do as you leave here, because I know it's time to go, is to be reflecting on these two questions. Ask yourself, what are you afraid of? And then ask yourself, where are you hiding? Because this can reveal a lot about your anxieties. A lot about what stresses you out in life. And then we'll be, as we, you know, reveal that, hopefully not creating more anxiety, but dealing with that in the days ahead. So I need to finish. Let me pray for us. And hope you guys have a good day. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Uh, thank you for being so gracious and loving to your children. Um, I pray that we would reflect on your awesome godly character. We'd see your goodness We'd fall more in love with you each and every day. I pray that you would begin to help these students, these leaders, myself included, to think more about what are we afraid of and where are we hiding, knowing that you ultimately welcome us into your presence. You want to hear about our fears, and you want to clothe us in your goodness and grace. We thank you for Jesus, who gave us the ultimate perfect place to hide. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.